0: White Famous is a new Showtime original comedy series about trying to make it in Hollywood, starring SNL vet Jay Farrow as Floyd Mooney, a comedian whose career is about to blow up. But he's not sure he's ready for all that. Can he make it without losing his soul? White Famous is executively produced by Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx and the creator of Californication, Tom Kapinos. The show is based on Jamie Foxx's real life experiences and also stars Jacob Ming Trent and more. You can also watch the hilarious series premiere right now for free on YouTube. Download the Showtime app now to start your free trial. Catch new episodes Sunday at 10 p.m. only on Showtime.
1: Hello Woo! and welcome yeah. to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindberg. I'm a writer. Oh, I'm a writer for theringer.com. I'm joined by my fellow writer for the Ringer, yes. Jason Concepcion. Hello, Jason. Baseball.
0: Wait, oh sorry, <laughs> wrong The other pod. Wrong
1: pod. <laughs> Still waiting for your appearance on the baseball pod. No, we're doing it this today. This is a video game one. Yeah. We have so much to talk about. So much. This is a crazy time in video gaming. Remember in March when we had a new huge Zelda game yep. and we had a ton of great third party games all of a sudden, so and original sequels, new IP. It's back. We're back to that again. We have another massive Nintendo game to talk about. We have many other games to talk about. So here's what we're going to do. You and I are going to talk yes. about Mario Odyssey, which yes. is out right now. Then we are going to bring in our producer, the man behind the, men behind the mic, Kyle. Who has this been is the playing craziest shit we've ever done. <laughs> Middle of Worth, Shadow of War. We have no idea how he is on the mic. We're no, going to bring him zero in Zero idea. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Shadow of War, which he's been playing and I've dabbled in. Then we're going to bring in our ringer colleague, Justin Charity who has been playing Wolfenstein 2 the New Colossus which is also out this week. Everything is out. What is not out this week? We don't even have time to talk about Assassin's Creed yet right. which we have and we'll be talking about someday soon. We'll be talking about South Park someday soon. We'll get to all of this someday yes. soon. Call of Duty. Then yeah, oh Call of Duty. We've got expansion for DLC for Horizon Zero Dawn oh next week too. It's just it's all happening. Yeah. And finally, in this episode, I'm going to extend my streak of doing solo chats with European developers (laughs) at the end of this episode. (laughs) I'm going to talk to the developer of Darkwood, which is a third-person survival horror game. You would not expect me to be talking about a game like that, but this is developed in Poland Came out this summer after being on Early Access. It's a PC game on Steam. It's sort of top-down, procedurally generated survival horror. But it is made by Acid Wizard Studio, which is a studio made of people who are scared of horror games which appealed to me because, of course, I am one of them. They are are my people, but they built a horror game. I'm going to talk to them about that and why they would do such a thing and also the fact that they gave their game away for free. They put it on torrent sites. They put it on the Pirate Bay. Let anyone grab it when they wanted it. So we'll talk about that decision too. Seems like not a
0: great great way to make money.
1: You'd be surprised. I guess so. Maybe stay tuned. So, look, we're going to talk about Mario now, and I guess we should just say we're going to say Mario, right? We're not going to Mar- say Mario. We're, Mario. We're from New York. I. We're the only people, the only region oh! that says Mario, as far yeah. as I can understand. <laughs> I don't, neither of us has a New York accent, as far as I'm aware, but we do say Mario. Mario. So, oh, I, every time I say it now, I'm I'm self conscious because I know that's not how anyone else. How I, do you, say, Ger- says how it, do you but, say
0: Girardi? <laughs> I say Girardi,
1: <laughs> but but we've got to be true to ourselves and our roots, and we say Mario. So yes. Mario Odyssey, it's out for Switch. You have played it; I have not, I have and I've never it. been more envious well, of listen. someone for anything in my life. If this is an
0: exact <laughs> reversal of what happened, with, is. with Zelda. That's which is, right. Which you is did interesting. Not have a
1: Switch when Zelda came I out, I did not. I played it first. That's yeah. right.
0: Which is interesting because uh, Mario, in many ways, is the uh, it's the opposite side of the coin from from zelda it's very zelda like yes. open world game um with a obviously with a mario flair. um all the characters you just from said the mario city. what are you doing did, what i did mario yeah and then uh <laughs> it's just uh and the world is just so engaging much like zelda it's just a joy mm. to explore um there are puzzles within puzzles mini puzzles little mini games uh it's just really fun to interact with all the stuff they do some really g- great callbacks to earlier versions of the game, uh, using uh, this kind of two D effect where you walk into a little um, one of the little like teleportation tunnels pipes, and then you end mm-hmm. up playing you know on a two D surface of a tower or a wall. It's very Escher like. Uh, the game is just really really fun, and it scales up as as the more you play it, it just gets more fun.
1: I am so excited! I've had Mario FOMO all week, just <laughs> thinking of you playing it. It's just been grinding my gears. We only got one code. We fought to the death. You, you vanquished me. I, you I, got to I'll play just. Mario first. Well, I'll you be playing it soon. You got the Zelda. I did. Yeah, so look, this game right now has a a 97 on Metacritic, (laughs) which ties it with Breath of the Wild. Shocker, Nintendo made a great game with one of its flagship franchises. But I have almost entirely avoided reading about this game because my anticipation is just so high that I didn't want to dull the edges of that by, by watching too much. So we talked about it. In our post E3 episode, right. and I I watched you know the trailer at that point, but I, I haven't read reviews, I, I haven't read hands on previews. I just I kind of wanted to go into release week cold, and obviously it's great based on the reaction from you and everyone else in the world. But sell me on on the concept or explain the concept for this game because I I think one of the reasons I'm so looking forward to this is that obviously the quality is going to be there just as it is with Zelda, but We sell this a little bit less of a pick up and play kind of play it in short spurts right, sort of franchise right, right. yeah i mean you can do that but but mario is obviously the platformer legacy short levels you can just pick it up and get into it very quickly and so what is the thing that sets this game apart from previous mario games like if every mario has wow. a hook and not everyone does but you know if super mario sunshine is you're in a tropical island and you have a water pack and you're spray painting over things with the water or if Mario Galaxy is, you know, messing with gravity and, and little worlds and space, what is Mario Odyssey?
0: That's a great. It's a great question. I think it's it's the interplay between 3D and 2D. Like I mentioned, uh, that kind of ability to to all of a sudden play a mini game that is a callback to earlier versions of the 16-bit version of the game, and also mm-hmm. um, he's able to throw his hat. In in a to use as an offensive yeah. weapon, but also to kind of um, uh, either unlock a combo with some kind of like a, a, a more impressive jump feature, or to to throw it onto like a a walking um, like statue and then actually control the statue or control a uh, a projectile by via the hat. The
1: hat lands
0: on top uh-huh. of the statue and then you can, like, pilot these right. things
1: around. So these... Uh, disturbing possession of yeah, inanimate objects. Yes. And, and,
0: <laughs> and by exploring these things, uh, you'll discover uh, different... Uh, areas of the game that you wouldn't have, have found before. Like, for instance, there's one uh, part where you throw your hat onto this kind of Easter Island-looking um, statue that's wearing sunglasses. We put the sunglasses down, all of a sudden you see these invisible things, invisible walkways that you didn't, didn't know were there at all. Um, yeah. So there's just these really uh, intricately crafted and really fun-to-discover um Things that tie directly into the mechanics of of how you control Mario, um, mm-hmm. which is a very Nintendo y thing. Um, you know, you thinking back to uh, the way Mario uh, would jump under a box, hitting the coins, and then or could jump on top of a mushroom and squash it down. Right. All these all these little ways of interacting with your environment. Uh, have become just much more uh, addictive. There's this, there's a lot of hooks in this game that just make you want to jump into things and throw your hat into things and jump off of things, and it's just, mm-hmm. um, it really takes advantage of the three Dness of the game in a way that's really, really, um, just super entertaining.
1: What is the basic structure of the game? Are we talking hmm. like a hub world here with connected it, levels? Is it just a series of of platform-type levels that stars are are gone now, right? We've got a replacement moon, yeah, for there's stars. There's like moons. Um, um, right.
0: There's, uh, it's a series of landscapes across a world, and you travel that world by unlocking – by solving – um, puzzles in succession until you fully unlock the region and then you take an airship to the next region. Um, the puzzles are really fun. A um, lot of verticality in really interesting ways. It's funny, Like the the only negative thing I have to say about the game is I'm not a fan of uh, there's like this dust cloud animation when Mario is, is running around, uh-huh. coming from his feet. You know, if he's running across the pavement or running across the desert, there's these little puffs of, of dust that follow right. him. And it just looks like he's farting, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's distracting. <laughs> it's a, after a while, it's just like, it looks like he's farting. Now, uh, when it rains... This is why Nintendo's great. There's no clouds because the dust, sure. has, <laughs> the dust has been wetted down.
1: Right. And that's just physics. That's yeah. just
0: physics. That's just how it works. But, <laughs> when, you know, when it's very dry out, just super yeah, distracting. Just
1: <laughs> constant dust clouds whenever I go anywhere yeah. in dry weather. And, you know, like Mario is not – he's not eating great. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> is, the, is the open world element of it – I mean – Does it feel revolutionary in the way that Breath of the Wild did? Like, does this feel like, I mean, clearly it it sounds like it's a culmination of everything we love about Mario and a synthesis of all of the great Mario games we played in the past. And there's that Nintendo blend of nostalgia and and newness that no one else does as well. But I think Breath of the Wild felt like a a shakeup and a dramatic leap and Maybe Zelda needed that as a franchise more than Mario did because Zelda had sort of settled into this formula that was still fun but wasn't really pushing the boundaries of the series that much. And and Mario has maybe continued to – innovate throughout its history more than zelda has in in recent years but does it feel like there is a, a large leap or is this just kind of taking the best elements of previous games and, and putting them together it, which is it, perfectly fine that's yeah, that's it, what that, it does if that's feel like it that
0: it, it feels it's certainly a leap technologically and, and gameplay wise it's really 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 fun um it is not It does not feel revolutionary in the way Zelda felt revolutionary in the way that when you played Zelda, you were like, "Oh my god, I can do this! I can go here! I can explore this! I can climb on this thing!" I can, you know, there was just so many things uh, within Zelda that felt fresh and felt surprising. You know, just the ability to to look at a far off mountain range and go directly to it and climb the mm-hmm. whole thing and then stand there and yeah. look out over this vast landscape. Um, ha- there was that feeling of exploration that, you know, because of the structure of Mario as a, as a succession of platformy maps, uh, it's, just not, it, it's just not possible. You can't do a free roam in mm-hmm. the same way you can do Zelda. You just walk away from a quest and be like, I'm just going to walk the land you can't really right. do that in mario so that it doesn't have that feeling of of wide open exploration that was truly the revolutionary ingredient uh, of zelda mm-hmm.
1: yeah well it's it's a tough i mean the the legacy of mario yeah. is just of games that have pushed the genre the whole the whole pastime of gaming forward whether it's mario 64 kind of figuring out how to do the 2d to 3d transition or just figuring out how to do 2d platforming well in the first place so it always feels like is this going to be the next game that totally shakes things up but that's a, a high burden to place on any game and i'm yeah i'm totally fine with just the nintendo polish and the nintendo humor and just the creativity of the the gameplay in in any nintendo first party title just about so i, I mean you don't need it to reinvent the wheel when the wheel is this good and has continued to feel fresh in in recent iterations
0: yeah I I think that's that's exact that's very well put it's just it's extremely creative it is very very firmly planted in the Mario world and the visual and gameplay language of Mario Um, it feels like a at this point near perfect Mario game but Mm. certainly I, I, I wouldn't say this is a revolutionary this isn't a thing that um at least at this point, that you feel like, wow, this is going to affect the way other open world games, 3D games, are made. Uh Not yet, but it is great. Great, great, great game.
1: Mm -hmm. Are there any most memorable moments, stages, just uh, ways to interact with an environment, things that you found surprising that stand out to you from however long you've put into it so far?
0: Um, You know, just trying to chain together uh, certain moves, certain jumps – um, those have been the things that I've really enjoyed the most, just controlling mario. i've I've played around You can detach the joy cons uh, and kind of play it that way with with uh, two joy cons in either hand, a little clunky mm-hmm. at this point. Um but just exploring how mobile Mario can be has really been the most fun to me. Um, mm-hmm. m- more than any of the puzzles, more than anything else, because he can he can really do a lot of fun stuff this time. And then by taking possession of you know a frog or different things with the hat, there's just a, there's just a, this whole kind of suite of different moves that he can do, and that's really been the most fun for me.
1: Mm-hmm. What is the city environment like? Because you mentioned it's oh not yeah, yeah open world like Hyrule is but what what is that setting what does that bring to the series
0: There's it, it's very New York like there's these right. like uh, people that look like Clark Kent you know in these kind of like yes. 50s fedoras and hats that walk around you can bounce off their heads um, human
1: beings human beings Mario. that part is it it,
0: weird it is vi- it's it's a little jarring but they there's never um there's never a point where they feel like anything else except the, the same kind of NPCs that you encounter in a Mario game, which is these strange mm-hmm. kind of like characters every once in a while, one of them will want to talk to you, but they they just kind of like amble about. Um, that level is super fun, super fun, because you can go all like the verticality is just like off the charts in that game. There's a mm-hmm. ton of uh, different environmental uh, details that you can interact with um, and to the you know, to the game's credit, I was never—I was never like, "Wow, this does, this seems like it doesn't belong in a Mario game." Uh, mm. I never felt that at all.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think of the theme song? <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> thinks very highly of the theme song. Yeah,
0: it's you know. Uh, <laughs> I, listen, I'm—I'm I'm a fan of the original Mario theme song for, you know mm-hmm. forever. Like, just sure. keep—just keep remaking that.
1: I mean, right. yeah, which they've done in the past. Yeah, well, that's, I think that, that they thing, should always but... do
0: that, though. Just, every game kind of does that? Why mm-hmm. are you gonna ch- like? I guess Star Wars, if you want to be like, if you really want to get, you know Rogue One had a totally different theme that sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I think you know, it's like when you're when you're when you're an IP of this kind of uh, historical import, you got to stick with your theme song, man. That's just me. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? I think,
1: I think you bring back the old theme in some sort of remix, yes. but, but you also try to write something new that can be that kind of memorable theme for the next generation of of gamers rather than recycling endlessly. I mean, yes, recycle and just tickle our our nostalgia sure. sense, but ideally also do something new and original that is as good as as the first one, even if it doesn't have that same weight of history and, yeah. and memory to it. So, are you enjoying Odyssey? more than any Mario game as much as not as much as wow, that's others really, that stick out in your mind
0: uh i think i'm enjoying it as much as and but but it's it's at this point it's difficult for me to unwrap how much of that is just how much i love my switch like the switch yes, is just yeah. i just as a as a piece of hardware i absolutely love this console it's so yeah.
1: great are, are you playing odyssey entirely in handheld mode oh or? yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you connected your Switch to it's your TV?
0: Like three months ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. this feels like a conversation that we'll probably have maybe in an end-of-the-year pod, yeah. but it does feel like the Switch has just owned 2017 it's so in great. gaming. It's I so mean, great. Nintendo has totally delivered on... The promise of supplying the first party titles that live up yep. to the legacy of those series. And yet there is a ton of great indie stuff right. and a surprising amount of support from other developers and publishers. I mean, really, it it kind of has everything that you would want at this point in its yep. life cycle, which is really impressive given the, the slow starts software-wise that other Nintendo consoles have had. There's just – there's no – Real complaint to make at this point. The switch is just set up to be one of those all-time great systems.
0: Yeah, and, and then we've got uh, some of the bigger releases, Skyrim stuff like that. Some mm-hmm. of the really interesting um, kind of tech-heavy third-party releases coming up. Uh, I just, I, I really love this console. As a person who like <laughs> is on the move a lot, I just really love it. It's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I felt affection for a console yeah. like not since not since Dreamcast really which yeah. I I love Dreamcast because it was kind of always just underrated and kind of the odd console out but I, I loved it but since then it's like you know I I I haven't really been one company's fanboy for right many years because right. I, I generally I'll get the PlayStation and I'll get the Xbox too because I want to play everything and so it's been a while since I felt that kind of affection specific to one console but i do have that sense with switch now which is partly a product of just great nintendo games but it's not solely that and all of my concerns all of anyone's concerns about battery life or will you really use it like this or is this actually going to make a difference right right i I think they've all been answered at this point so yeah all right is there anything else you want to mention about odyssey anything you want to Tell me that I don't know. We're we're going to return to it probably next week because I will have played it by then and maybe we'll get a guest on who's played it. You'll have gotten deeper into it. But anything that has surprised you, impressed you, disappointed you other than the fart clouds <laughs> that we haven't touched on so far? <laughs>
0: it's really just – honestly, it's really just the fart clouds. Like I just <laughs> wish they could have toned down the fart clouds. Other than that, I think it's great, it could, man. Yeah.
1: They could patch that. Yeah, they could patch those four clouds. (laughs) All right. We'll talk much more about Mario in upcoming episodes. But now we're going to talk about another recent release from this crazy, crazy month. We're going to bring in our producer, Kyle. Kyle. We are welcoming to the mic now, man who is always in the room, listening to us, yeah. making judicious edits, making us sound better, squeezing it all into squeezing one episode. Shit. Now he's going to have to edit himself because he is coming on to talk to us. Kyle Creighton, hello, Kyle.
2: Hey, feels good to be here. I spent many an episode <laughs> muffling sneezes, <laughs> coughs, and laughs. It feels good to let it all hang
1: out. <laughs> yes, please cough and sneeze away. We want to hear all of your bodily fluids during Wonderful. the segment. So you've been playing Middle Earth Shadow of War, as have I, but you've spent much more time with it. And we all played Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. We liked it a lot. And for me, Shadow of War has just gotten caught in the crush of every game coming out at the same time. I intend to to play it through at, at some point. I've only spent a couple hours with it. and. I know that you are enjoying it quite a bit. So, we wanted to get our, our Shadow of War segment out of the way here and talk to you because you're the expert as far as we're concerned. So, give us your impressions so far of Shadow of Mortar and, and how it relates to, uh, or of Shadow of War and mm-hmm. how it relates to Shadow of Mortar. Well, I mean, the
2: first thing I think it's I don't want to say way less clunky, but it definitely felt less clunky as far as moving around and stuff like that. One of the first mm-hmm. things I noticed. Finally, there's a black dude in Middle Earth. Did <laughs> anyone else notice that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, did, I actually Googled. He is the first. He is the first. I haven't run oh, into any more, really any other humans besides him and a couple other. But um,
1: Yeah. Tolkien always calls them the swarthy Easterlies yeah. or yeah. something like that. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. We're getting some representation in Middle Earth. Yeah. I, the thing that stood out to me, I, I just spent a couple hours with it, but In a game like this, I get kind of demoralized when, like, it's a game with a a skill tree and many upgrades and many combos and many unlockables. So I did all that in Shadow of Mortar, and by the end of that game, you just feel like a total beast and a stud, and you're just, like, chaining together crazy combos, and if anything, you're overpowered. And then to come back to this game... Initially, it's like you're staring at the same menus again and looking at all the things you have to unlock and work your way back up. And the fact that it's the same character, same protagonist, Talia, and it's like, why am I weak now? Why am I not right. as powerful as I was before? But at least based on my early experience with this, they, they ramp that up pretty quickly. And after like an hour... I was literally flying, basically, as a stallion who can now, like, climb anything in a single bound.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was sort of the the Assassin's Creed way, except for you can just get to the top way faster. Yeah. You don't have to hold yeah. hold the trigger while you climb up <laughs> just, this <laughs> right. immense, this huge building. Now it's like, all right, three taps of A, and you're there.
0: One thing I yeah. noticed about this game uh, while playing it. First of all, I'll, I'll tell you about my approach to this game. I don't
2: <laughs> watch the Jason I play the first 5 minutes of this game. I don't
0: I don't go for the I don't care about bosses. I don't care about locating bosses. I don't care about climbing the towers and looking around. <laughs> I just want to fight 50 guys. That's it. That's all I <laughs> yeah. want to do. I want to find like where 60 orcs are hanging out around like a fire and I just want to fight them all. I don't like <laughs> I don't care about unlo- unlocking stuff. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to fight sixty orcs at once.
2: Well, I felt bad for your first ten <laughs> minutes because you weren't going to run into more than four at a time. Know. <laughs> it's like
0: it's was...
1: bullshit. Don't care. Thanks for the boat. Yeah. Don't that care.
0: But uh, starts
1: with a stealth segment. Yeah, yeah. the yeah.
0: combat is uh, yeah. It feels a lot more fluid this time. It feels like you can lock onto the character you want to lock onto. You can you can move around. I haven't unlocked uh, my cool finishing moves yet, but mm. um, the movement is greatly improved and uh, another thing I've, I've noticed is you you just don't get hung up on stuff like the way you did in the past your your character will um, will just kind of leap over rocks and and logs and stuff like that in a way that just feels like uh, you have total control over the environment in terms of being able to move around
2: yeah plus with the the fast travel setup really well right. I think um, and between like the elf speed that you eventually right. unlock and rotting the care it's like you're just everywhere you want to be within a little bit. Fucking man. I hate those
0: fucking characters. <laughs> shoot them, shoot them twice too. in the head. They're done, guys. Helpful tip. <laughs> Helpful <laughs> tip. Don't
2: take them on head on.
1: <laughs> so my, I'm still very much in the stage where I'm just like mashing the X button, basically. Oh, or the you a never stop mashing Whatever, X yeah, I Mash that no. shit. Yeah. Occasionally, you, I block. But like at the end of Shadow of Mordor, I'd gotten to the point where I, I had more options available to me, and I had memorized them to the point where I was not... Totally mashing. I was still mashing, but there is uh, you know, occasionally I mash some, until the mites finesse. full,
2: and then I and then I unleash hell.
1: Right. You know? Yes, and then you go crazy. So yeah, has I mean, is it essentially the same combat system, same attacks? I mean, I'm sure there's at least a, a facelift here, but more or less the same type of progression.
2: Yeah, I feel like that that's true. But I'm trying to remember back to, to Mordor. I didn't actually finish Mordor, um, mm-hmm. but but with the skill tree, is how you get. There's the one skill, then there's the three. Right. Other things, but you right. only get to choose one. Was that was that the same? I'm trying to re- recall that you only get to choose one. But yeah, so it's like either you can hit the ground and frost comes out, or you can hit the ground and fire comes out, and it's sort of like mm-hmm. you can always change that. So it, That's it's sort of cool. it is sort of if you end up reading up on some of the enemies, it's like oh, he actually doesn't. He's not phased by fire, so maybe changes to poison or something.
0: That's also mm-hmm. my favorite part of the game. The is. army
2: thing is pretty cool Uh, i've totally abandoned the story at this point by the way well the army thing is you know there's five regions i want to say all with a couple fortresses um and they all have this different orc armies which you have no horse in that race when you first come in there it's all they're all against you so you have to Uh either take them out or you turn them and you can't turn them until you're either an equal level or or above them so a lot of times you're just gonna have to kill them um, but yeah, you you kind of turn into this Assassin's Creed guy where you hunt them down, but you you get to see that oh, stealth isn't going to work on this guy. He also has a pack of archers that runs with him, and um, he's got his crazy fire weapon that'll you know has a chain attached to it. So you can sort of do some reconnaissance and see what your approach is going to be. But they're all over, so you can just as easily run into some guys that you don't know anything about.
0: One of my favorite things about uh, the series that it's it's still here in this in. Uh, the second version of the game is you'll be fighting 20 guys, as I like to do. Yeah. And then, you know, there'll just be a captain or something that wanders up, and all of a sudden, you know, you'll get that cutscene where it's like,
2: ah, hello. <laughs> exactly. Hi there.
0: Why? It's a lonely, lonely man. Why don't we keep him company?
2: The Uruk way. Very hit or miss, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. I actually wanted to say. I, I looked up to IMDB And let me just tell you A few of the people Who are in this <laughs> yeah, game Yeah sure I don't think you'll be able To point them out But Phil Lamar From the Mad TV Wow Yeah Oh. Kumail Yeah He's back He's uh, yeah, back right. Haven't ran course, into him yeah. yet He's back though mm-hmm.
0: Why would a Gondorian Come here And try to murder All of the orcs Maybe You have a problem With one orc Maybe A hundred But oh, All of us
2: <laughs> Maybe the problem Is with you um, Nolan North, who's been in a bunch of video games, yes um, yes, every yes. Game. uh Gideon Emery, I think you'll be surprised if you I'm it, but yeah, definitely hit or miss, but definitely, I find myself laughing at some of these cutscenes
1: nice is, the, is that the main change to the nemesis system then is is this army element?
2: yeah, I mean, I there was definitely like the army element last game. I just feel like I'm way into it and have since totally
1: abandoned the story, so <laughs> I uh-huh. like I'm just trying to take out everybody. Is that. Is that a reflection on the story or just on the No, how no, not at all. I'm actually I'm
2: actually watching these cutscenes a lot more than I did. I mean the story cutscenes than I did last game. Mm-hmm. Um but there's just so many the siege battles too are really great. Have either of you gotten to do that yet? Not yet. I just I did not. it. Yeah, it's pretty badass. It's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. So you basically take out enough guys and then you build a little siege army and you um attack the attack the, the main overlord,
1: then it's yours for a little while. Oh Kyle. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) As a multi time Silmarillion reader, I'm always wanting more lore in these games. (laughs) And there's never enough for me, but it seemed like it was a a good start at the beginning of this game. Is there any more Just twice. Okay, that's Yeah. yeah yeah no is there is there any more variety to the environments in this game? I mean just the color palette granted it's it's mortar. So yeah, it's, it's not still like pretty more scenic location yeah. but the first game got very brown and kind of I think that's muddy. why I
2: never finished the first game. Yeah, I was just like, this yeah. is gonna be just gross the whole way um, but i'm <laughs> yeah. I'm cool with it. I'm actually cool with it now. um mm-hmm. I don't think it's honestly a huge change it's it's a lot bigger though. I mean it's a lot the world's oh, a lot bigger. I did end up in <laughs> one I did end up in one place yesterday where it was actually like bright outside so I stayed there for a little bit. Oh. That was cool. I wish I wrote it down. <laughs> there is some sunlight though for anyone who's
1: worried about it. There's some sunlight. That's encouraging. Yeah, yeah, I mean the world in the the first game was was big enough. That game, I don't know how many hours I put into that, but quite a few. So that's that's daunting. That's the kind of thing I'm I worry about with this coming out and Assassin's Creed coming out and I'm wanting to play Mario and all this stuff. It's like the open world game with the unlimited collectibles and side quests and mechanics that you might not even know about until you're halfway through the game. It's it's an intimidating prospect for that all to surface at the same time. So I was just playing the first hour or so of Shadow of War, like the the suggestion box and tool tips and all the hints kept popping up. Like, yeah. You can yeah. do this and that, that and annoying. that. And it's yeah. like,
2: uh. I think I'm going to well, turn it, gonna it off. I'm like a level 23 and they're still popping up. So I just have, I think it's just a toggle thing. Just turn it off. Uh-huh. Um All have right, either so of you guys gotten your ass kicked yet? Oh yeah. Twice yeah? already. I really like that. I really do like that. I'm level twenty three and I'm still some games it's like you make it to level twenty and it's like, okay, game's right. not over, but basically. Yeah. Um yeah. you can get to like at least level forty in this game that I know of. So
0: I'm like a level six and I just get my ass absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a good me. feeling. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna fight this seventeen.
2: Yeah. I don't give a fuck. In Assassin's Creed I couldn't yeah. tell you the last time I died. So like for one of these uh-huh. like fighting games with, you know, the the Y counter button and stuff right. like that. It feels good to know I can still get my ass kicked. I still have to run sometimes.
1: Even in the first game, although you got a clear sense of progression and, and power as the game went on, there were still some times like when you were trying to assassinate a, a certain captain where it was hard to figure out. Yeah, and it, it took some actual planning and, and strategy. Yeah, and times. you
2: can actually you can spend as long as you want on this army thing, and it will suck your whole day away because like uh you can see you can see like there's the captain then he's got like a blood brother who's like this guy over here who's also like a 27 and he's got like a a backup guy with a gang of archers so there's like sometimes just one captain has like four captains woven in somehow and then you go after him and you didn't do your research and you die (laughs) and then when you and like i think that this was the last game to it if just a regular guy kills you he gets promoted and he's like you know right
1: so it sounds like the verdict is you're you're preferring it to the first game, but it's maybe more of a kind of incremental improvement than massive overhaul type thing?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I'm sticking with it. Right. Waiting for DLC nice. stuff. Totally lost in there. Well, sounds good. I'm in someday when I find time. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you very yeah. much for crossing off one game off our list of huge holiday titles that we haven't talked about yet. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, coming out from behind the mic. Of course, man. Thank you. Man. Kyle. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break. For a word from our sponsor, we'll be back with our pal, Justin Charity, to talk Wolfenstein 2. Nice.
0: Ever wondered what it might be like to captain some of the greatest warships of World War II? Then you should check out World of Warships, the free-to-play historical online combat game from Wargaming. With World of Warships, you will command a massive naval fleet featuring some of history's most iconic war vessels, like the USS Arizona the USS Indianapolis, and the USS Enterprise. And with four classes of ships from over eight nations fighting in strategically designed environments, every match is a unique experience. World of Warships brings endless hours of strategy, tactical gameplay, and pulse-pounding naval combat action. It really is the perfect balance of action strategic gameplay, guys. Download World of Warships for free today at commandwarships.com. To begin your naval adventure, make sure you enter the code GAMES17, that's G-A-M-E-S-1-7, when you download to get a ton of bonus content, courtesy of Achievement Oriented, this very podcast. That includes a free premium ship, the famous cruiser Aurora, and a pile of in-game currency to jumpstart your epic World War II naval experience. Just download World of Warships today at CommandWarships.com and start playing Today! And now we are joined by Ringer staff writer Justin Charity to talk about Wolfenstein 2: The New Colossus, in which you kill many, many, many Nazis.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it. I mean, <laughs> There's that big, that. grand, <laughs> Is it, well, Am I missing anything? It was like a short story. That was great.
0: <laughs> am I missing anything about this about this game?
3: Uh well it's we you know Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus it's I would say it's more complex and it it has mm-hmm. some some environmental and narrative beats going for it that are more complex than that one <laughs> sentence summary of Wolfenstein <laughs> but it is simultaneously that straightforward you spend a lot of time yeah. killing a lot of Nazis <laughs> uh,
0: really the thing
3: we, we, oh sorry go ahead oh well
1: should we talk about it. On a, a game level first, and then on a, a thematic yeah. mm. level, I guess. Yeah, let's start on a game level. Do you want to just talk about it as a pure shooter and mechanically, and then we'll get into the maybe extra resonance
3: that shooting Nazis has in two thousand seventeen? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've played um, I've played several chapters, but two different I want to say environments into it. Um, you, you begin the game um, on a U boat. And you begin the game in a wheelchair as BJ Blazkowicz, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the long running hero of the Wolfenstein mm-hmm. franchise. And the fact that the game, the fact that you begin on a U-boat in a wheelchair, right, means you have this very limited mobility. And it means that you're navigating an environment um, that's very cl- cluttered and it's narrow and it's dark. It's very poorly lit. Um, not not in terms of the viewer's perspective or the gamer's perspective, just in terms of the character's perspective, right? Like it's dark and dim and cluttered and there are Nazis everywhere. Um, and to me, you know, it feels very different playing this game than it feels, you know, going back to play Wolfenstein 3D. Sure. Like the, the old mm. PC game. But it feels like the the principles are largely the same, which is that you are fighting in really tight, enclosed spaces where you're vastly outnumbered by Nazis. And so, I mean, it's it's very first-person shootery and it encourages you to sort of just go to town and shoot wildly at times, but you really sort of do have to play it like a stealth game and you have to reserve ammo and you have to be very careful about when you ambush versus when you mm. hide behind things. Um, yeah, I was going to ask so, you
1: that because I, I think I've mentioned on the show before that Wolfenstein, this whole series is just a complete blind spot for me. Whatever reason, we all have our famous franchises that we've just avoided or just missed for some reason. And I'm planning to break that streak with this game. I'm going to play this game. It'll be my my first experience. I'm a total Wolfenstein noob. So for me, can you give me a sense of just where it falls on the arcadiness spectrum? I guess either Relative to earlier Wolfenstein games, or since that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, kind of where this falls on the the spectrum of games from like
3: Doom to I don't know Rainbow Six or something like that. I'm glad you used that word arcadey because it, I I remember uh, I want to say in like in the first couple of levels I kept having this thought of man there is a there's an old laser tag spot in Richmond that used to have like tons of arcade games and it's sort of it, it definitely, I, I definitely had this vibe of like, I would love to play this <laughs> while waiting between laser tag matches. Um, yeah. There's maybe, I mean, there's too much plot, I would say, for it to be like too comparable to that sort of experience in the way that like the original, I mean, the the first couple Wolfenstein games aren't like that at all. They're just boot them up and go. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of retention that you need playing those games, but yeah, it's, it's like the shooting experience and sort of the, the variance and difficulty. All of that stuff makes it so that you, you can sort of, I don't know, I, I kind of would like to play this in an arcade in you know, front of people. The interesting <laughs> yeah. thing
0: about, about Wolfenstein New Colossus to me is less the game itself and more just thematically the fact that Nazis are with us now. In the world, that it's a it's there's actually a political calculus to be made when you make a game that explicitly is about killing Nazis and uh, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the trailers for the game is you know it's it's basically a, a play on the theme of punch a Nazi you know right. which is a thing that exists in our world now it's because <laughs> yeah. of the rise of the alt right Richard Spencer all these people that have been uh, cut loose how much does the game lean into that? Um, or is it just one of those things like uh, hey we've been making uh, video games about killing nazis for a long time and it just so happens right. that it just
1: is germane to the, the current moment yeah cuz they were like the the perfect video game villain right yeah. because there's was, there was no like <laughs> there was no nuance to right. to nazis they right. were the most evil the thing that we could all kind of feel good about Killing in a video game And and right now there's there's All this extra stuff that goes along with it That I guess the series just Inherited but I don't know if it, it Courts it or not so yeah is there Any of that in, in here Justin Or is it just kind of grandfathered
3: in Well I don't think it's I, You know I don't think Wolfenstein I don't think this game was designed To specifically Address this, this bizarre moment <laughs> In American politics where Nazism is Resurgent right. but I would say that I mean, look, we we know that there are tons of games that, you know, because they're set in World War II, allow you to shoot Nazis, right? Like the thing about Wolfenstein that makes it feel resonant um, in this political moment is the phrase that I think people use a lot now. Um, the thing that makes it feel resonant right now, though, is that uh, like something like Call of Duty um, especially if you played Nazi Zombies mode on Call of Duty, like I used to play a lot. That that's a game where you you kill Nazis, right? But the difference in Wolfenstein is that you actually are fighting Nazism, right? Like the the Nazis of Wolfenstein have definition. They're like these pill popping monstrous weirdos, um, and. You sort of in this game engage a lot with what the Aryan ideal is and why the resistance fighters, why different factions of the resistance fighters against the Nazis don't fit with the Nazi program. And so Wolfenstein just seems to, you know, beyond the, the fact that it has a really heightened sense of who the Nazis were, um, because the Nazis and Wolfenstein are like mutated robot freaks uh-huh. <laughs> where they have like gun suits and things like that. Um, it's also the fact that Wolfenstein, through all of that, actually takes Nazism seriously and is trying to get you to engage with why the Nazis were bad uh, and evil people in a way that not that many other video game franchises really do so effectively, and and that sort of, I mean. It seems straightforward, right, that the Nazis are bad. But again, it's sort of you get to 2017 right. yeah, and all right. of a sudden Americans can't really agree yeah. about how bad this the Nazis were and why we fought the Nazis. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, I think part of the thing that's so, um, so fascinating about this game is that, you know, uh, it paints a picture of a world in which the Nazis and the KKK have essentially won. Um, could you talk about a little, a little about the context of the game, the wider world of the game?
3: Right. So it's sort of, you are, um, you're basically part of an underground, I should say underwater, <laughs> um, resistance movement against the Nazis. And like you said, the Nazis have won. And I, I should say like the older Wolfenstein games sort of occupy a different timeline than the sort of two most recent Bethesda Wolfenstein games. I think like, you know, Wolfenstein 3D is just a standard, like it happened during World War Two. You know, everything's World War II as you know it. Whereas in these games, the Nazis win, World War II lasts a little bit longer. Um, and the that that's a weird that's that's a weird thing about the new Colossus, in so much as like it's a game where theoretically you're on the defensive, right? You're you're sort of in hiding. But the joy of those games is that you are you are this sort of badass and the Nazis all know that you're a badass and they know that you've killed countless Nazis during the war. And you sort of, um, you're playing from the defensive and in a way that makes you feel that makes them, I don't know, that makes BJ Boskowitz seem like even more of a badass character because he's sort of the last Nazi killer left. If that makes sense. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's sort of the vibe of the game until later on when you, <laughs> I'm saying this a lot will feel weird, but it's like you you end up meeting up with some Black Panthers in the Empire State Building in Manhattan, <laughs> and then it's sort of you know from there th- there seems to be a sense of like the the resistance network congealing and coming together, um and and being the sort of insurgent this sort of practical insurgent force, um in a in in a bombed out Manhattan. Mm-hmm
1: and is there like a storytelling subtlety or or depth cuz i mean I, I don't know i guess i didn't really get that so much out of doom i loved the action i loved the game <laughs> i know some people like the some dimensions of the story and and got something out of that and commentary on the modern world and capitalism and all of that's there but i was mostly just shooting people and mailing people in the head and and happy about it so is that the core, is that the core of the Wolfenstein experience or is there maybe any surprising layer to a game that is one of the older longest running shooter series that was originally known for more arcadey action and kind of uncomplicated themes?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, to me, it's just the fact that there's the fact that there's a story and the fact that there's sort of elaboration on, um, you know, the game has a strong sense, right, of who is the type of person who you would expect to oppose Nazism, right? In so much as they, there's one there's one scene where, like, Blauschkowitz is meeting um, with a sort of resistance member who's been driven under – or two resistance members who have been driven underground and one of them is black. And they're trying to figure out whether they believe uh is either a um, – secret Nazi himself or whether he's truly with the resistance and they don't know what to make of him because he's this blonde white guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, there's moments like that in the game where it's sort of, you, you watch, you know, certain interactions among the resistance members or the resistance's interaction um, with some of the more infamous SS officers in the game. And you realize that it's play. I mean, it, it's this weird, diverse, like very inclusive resistance that's sort of at the heart of, of this game. And it, it the game is engaging with the idea of like, who are the losers of Nazism? Um, right? Like who is on the losing end of this ideology? And, th- and that to me is the main um, interesting thematic consideration mm. that isn't in the OG Wolfenstein games. But I think sometimes the story can be a bit video gamey. <laughs> Uh, You know, in terms of the like, get the nuke from this part of the sub and bring it back to the lab, you know, stuff like that is less interesting to me um, where the interesting side of the coin is when you go from the lab to find where the nuke is in the the lower levels of the sub and you're navigating again, like I said, those those dark, obscure corners and levels that are meant to frustrate the crap out of you, you know... while you're sort of overwhelmed by these Nazi commanders who are just calling for endless uh, reinforcements um, and you're fighting from a wheelchair. Like, it's, it's more so the sort of arcade like I said, environmental difficulty as a shooter. That's more interesting and sort of captivating to me, um, along with, I think, the loose thematic considerations of Nazism and anti-fascism. Those things are interesting. The story is not That interesting to me.
0: (laughs) Uh, Uh This is, I mean, this is a weird question to ask about a game that's like just come out. But I mean, zooming out, 2017 and 16 have been pretty trash, very strange years in the history of the country. Uh, What? How will people perceive Wolfenstein 2? Like in three years, four years, as some kind of weird artifact of the time, or just like a just another uh, Nazi killing game?
3: I'm worried, actually, that. it's hard enough. Th- I mean, I'm trying to go based on what I think people will make of the game, even just this month. Yeah, and and I, you know, it's it's not like the people who, like, there are plenty of people who are alt right, whether they admit it or not, or like you know the bottom feeders of 4chan who like Wolfenstein as a series. And to me, those people, for instance, are going to look at this game, and they're not going to say, "Screw this game." because it doesn't like Nazis, they're going to say, why are you politicizing Wolfenstein? Yes. (laughs) Right.
0: Which which is is like a tacit admission in itself that something has gone very wrong.
3: Right. Like, why are you politicizing killing Nazis? (laughs) Like, you know, it's because, because, like in the American imagination, uh, I I mean, maybe this is true in a global sense, but certainly in the American imagination, um, there's this weird thing that so many generations of, of... films and TV and games about World War II is done where it's sort of, we forgot that Nazism is an ideology and it's not just a bunch of people wearing costumes and right. talking in like exactly. yeah, aggressive yeah. German accents, right? And so yeah, there will be this weird cognitive dissonance for now where people who are complicit in a lot of the bad politics of 2017 will do a weird rationalization where they're like, well I don't get it, we all opposed Hitler's Nazis, like <laughs> you can't politicize World War II, like we all agree that Hitler was bad. Or, no, I mean, people don't even agree about that now, That's I guess. But um, people, people, but in any case, people, I think, will for now sort of the fight will be over whether Wolfenstein 2 is a legitimately political game. Right. And whether World War Two should be politicized. <laughs> um, right. And in the long run, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think, I, you know, I, I don't see it being. Um, an artifact of the time just because Wolfenstein is a super old video game series at this point. And so the things that make it seem special right now, mostly seem special right now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this is, like it meets the moment in some strange ways, but it doesn't seem to, it doesn't meet the moment in a super definitive way right. that I think will really break out of people who want to talk about games, mostly just, like in consideration of gameplay and shit like that Mm. yeah yeah that leads into my last question which you know I'm, i'm
1: looking forward to playing this game just because it's a good game and it'll be viscerally satisfying in a way but do you think that video games have the potential to be cathartic in a way that they reflect some real world concern something that you're frustrated in or about in your daily life and You put on a game and you shoot some polygons and pixels, and that makes you feel better about things in a larger sense? Or do you see it as more of an escapist thing? Because games are more and more dealing with real life themes and maybe some aspects of life that games traditionally haven't been known for. But I guess. Like all art, they can maybe make you feel better about those things, or they can maybe distract you from those things briefly before you then go back to being worried and upset about the same things that you were worried and upset about before you picked up the controller.
3: I mean, the short answer is hell yeah. I mean, you know, you know, I only bought a PlayStation Four after um, Trump was elected president. <laughs> <laughs> is that but that exactly mean- <laughs> why? Correlation, causation. <laughs> Well, I guess I mean the one thing I will say about Wolfenstein and, it and, I, and have more I think, to do with Final Fantasy than Trump. <laughs> that's oh that's also true. That's also true. But <laughs> <laughs> listen, it'd have been a long time. It'd been a decade for me. Um no, but I mean the, the the longer answer to that question is yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people who will seek out this game. Maybe, you know, either people who have played the New Order, which is the game before this, or maybe people who haven't played Wolfenstein in a long time, maybe people who have never played it. I'm sure there are people who will seek this game out with a sense of, man, okay, I need a, I want to play the Nazi killing game <laughs> in a year yeah. where I've been frustrated by uh, America's inability to confront Nazism. I want to play this video game that is about just that. I think the thing that... Um, I think the thing that people shouldn't necessarily look to this game to do is solve the is is punching Nazis okay (laughs) debate for them. You know, it's it's sort of like you have to play this game with a sense of at the end of the day, you have to go back to the real world and you have to figure out the actual, um, you know, the actual radical and democratic ways you want to go about opposing Nazism because you know the Nazis of twenty seventeen. Are very different from the fictionalized 1950s <laughs> Nazis of Wolfenstein 2, um, and so you know you 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 shouldn't you shouldn't look to these games to you should look to these games uh, for a sort of like I think what was the word you use like escapism and catharsis, sure, mm-hmm. um, but there are no actual political answers in this game for anybody who thinks that there are. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well. We've been talking with Ringer staff writer Justin Charity about Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, in which you can kill zombies
3: by you the bush. Nazis. You kill yeah, Nazis by can, the bush. Rule. You kill them. Yeah. But you can't cure all the world's
1: problems.
0: Unfortunately. Uh, Justin, thanks, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. So we will be back with one more segment after another word from our sponsor. I'll be talking Darkwood. Everyone knows that Redbox is all about renting movies and video games for cheap. But did you know that Redbox also sells used games starting as low as $4.99? That's really low. So for the price of one of those extra large caramel frat, double espresso, no foam, two pump, trinkety drinks you love, you could start the most legendary game night tradition ever, playing your hearts out all the way up to bedtime. Maybe beyond for way less than you'd pay in store, you can keep your kids quietly entertained, always key, all month long, so you can practice that extremely complex and extremely painful yoga pose, get it down to perfection, so you can impress your entire class with your superhuman flexibility. That's right. Buying games for Redbox is a way cheaper option. And this time, you keep them forever. Right now, Doom, Dark Souls 3, and Madden NFL 17 are all for sale. So head over to the box and do game night on the cheap. With Redbox, the smarter way to watch and play. All right, so I am joined now by Gustav Stahashevsky. He is the coder for Acid Wizard Studio, and their first game is Darkwood, which came out in its final release this summer. And I have been intrigued by this game for a few months now because I saw the news about the game initially because you described it. You and three college friends and a dog, you're based in Warsaw in Poland, and you are afraid to play horror games or were before you started to work on this game. And so you have built a horror game nonetheless. And this intrigued me because I've talked often on the show about my own fear of horror games and my own inability to play them at times. And you had the same hang ups, but you managed to actually create a very unnerving horror game. So. Gustav, welcome. Good to talk to you. And please tell me about the origin of the game and how people who had the same fears that I do
4: decided to make a horror game anyway. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Darkwood started off as a simple tower defense game, actually. It's, um transformed itself into a horror game over time. Because uh, it was our first big game. Our only experience in making games was two Game Jam games, which were mm-hmm. made in 48 hours. And Darkwood was at first a tower defense game with some survival mechanics, from what, what I remember. And uh, it was a pretty much amateur-based project. We didn't really um, think it would be commercially viable. Uh-huh. But when we, because the the top-down perspective is really not something you would think about when designing a horror game, Uh, it would be very risky to do something like that. But over time, uh, when we iteratively made some uh, progress on the game, we saw potential to make um, a very atmospheric game, also thanks to the uh, sound and uh, music abilities of Artur, uh, one of the free acid wizards, uh, who was mm-hmm. al- also responsible for the art. Um, thanks to that combination, um, the game was really, you know, atmospheric, and we saw the potential of that, and we made our first gameplay trailer, and it's virally went, uh, you know, uh, everywhere. It, it's mm-hmm. it surpassed all of, of all of our expectations, and. Uh, we went from there. Yeah. And so why did you choose the
1: the top down or the isometric perspective? When you <laughs> say that it's difficult to create a horror game with that sort of perspective, do you mean just because it's maybe less visceral or, or you know, compared to a, a first person or a third person? game it's it's more difficult to scare the player when there is a distance from the character and the world in that way was it more just because it was easier to, to code was that part of <laughs> yeah, it
4: exactly yeah. i'll okay. be very sincere <laughs> the decision was just because we had no experience in game development at all except for the two to game jam games Uh And uh, we just saw that a lot of first projects from developers were made uh, from the top-down perspective and uh, we started fiddling uh, in that and it went well, so we decided to go with it, but Uh um, in the long run, it was actually very, very time consuming to do so because we are pretty much perfectionist in what we do uh, in terms of uh, the visuals, because we all uh, finished the the same school. To do such precise things from the top-down perspective was really, really time-consuming. So I don't think it turned out the way we wanted to initially. Yeah,
1: right. So you mentioned that your first couple of games took 48 hours. This took a little bit longer than (laughs) that. (laughs) A few years longer than you had anticipated. And were you aware that this is something that often happens to indie developers or first-time developers working on their first full game or even established experienced big budget developers that you will set a date for when you think it will be finished and then you'll miss that date by years and years? Were you confident early on that you could actually meet this deadline? Did you just underestimate the difficulty of of how much you had to learn?
4: The initial plan was to finish the game in one month (laughs) Uh (laughs) because it was very simple at the time. Uh, But we started adding stuff uh, as time went on. But I think uh, we were pretty ignorant uh, at the beginning. And it's had some... When you do some things with ignorance, I think it's it has some benefits because we Mm -hmm. did some very risky things like the top-down perspective, like the pixelated art style, like the procedurally generated world combined with a bit of roguelike mechanics and survival horror. It all seems like a bit of a Frankenstein monster um, Mm -hmm. in terms of game design, but in the end, it's all... Well, pe- I don't know myself because I, I hate the game a bit. I've been, so, played so much of it <laughs> and it disorganized my life a lot over the years. But people are saying that it's 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 a good game. So mm-hmm. I think it turned out very well.
1: So why a horror game? Was it Did it grow out of real-life fears that you experienced and the game was a way of working through those or, or coming to terms with those? And just had you played horror games in the
4: past or, or had you been too afraid to? I'm going to have to speak for myself now because mm-hmm. um, we didn't really speak... With each other a lot about these things as uh, with the team. Uh, actually, when we had the Reddit AMA session uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I learned a lot about my colleagues. Uh, <laughs> more from that session in some parts than the, the four years that we worked together uh, mm-hmm. in, in the more more personal personal aspects. So now I'm gonna speak for myself to not you know speak for for them. Mm-hmm. I have a very Wild imagination, and it sometimes um, is overwhelming for me in situations when I'm um, afraid or stressed um, mm-hmm. to the point where um, I have uh, something called night terrors. Uh-huh. Uh, when you wake up in the in the night and you see things, you you just hallucinate, mm-hmm. and it was really freaking me out for a long time. And I think making Darkwood made me come to terms with it uh, in a way that I now I know that the things I see in the night are completely inside my mind. Mm -hmm. And I have a much better um, coping mechanism uh, with that. I haven't, um, I still experience these things, especially when I'm stressed out Or um, we had a a problem with homeless people sleeping just literally under our door for a few months. And um, my son just um, was born and I was very protective of my family at the time. And he was waking up like four or five times a night. And they were sometimes making a lot of noises and screaming outside. So... (laughs) Combine that with the sleep deprivation; um, it was a very hard time for me in the night. But facing my fears through making Darkwood and through forcing myself to to, to see horror movies and play horror games, which I couldn't force myself to do so before, uh-huh. um, I think it was very beneficial for me to for me to to. to to cope with these things. Mm-hmm.
1: So, is the eeriness of Darkwood directly inspired by those night terrors? Are there creatures or monsters, or just that pervasive sense of fear that you tried to channel in the game?
4: I think so. Uh, most of the, the 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 monster design was made by Arthur, mm-hmm. and he also experienced experiences these night terrors, which. I also uh, came to know about, I don't know, one or two years into development. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I didn't know about them uh, before. Um, So I think so, but I think more more, um, prominent thing we wanted to show was uh, kind of play with the player's mind to make him question what is real, what is not real and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm Yeah. And do you think that this game is more
1: playable by someone who is afraid of horror games than the typical survival horror game? I know that you didn't want to have jump scares in your game, for instance, but it is still unnerving. So would you have been able to play Darkwood yourself, say, five years ago, if someone had installed it on your computer and
4: said, hey, play this game, or (laughs) would it have been too much for you? It's a tough question, um, (laughs) because... I actually like uh, the horror games that made you kind of crept under your skin, like the, the earlier Silent Hill um, mm-hmm. games and even even strategy games like UFO Enemy Unknown. That game really creeped me out. And even though I don't like being scared uh, to a point where I'm startled, like through jump scares, mm-hmm. um, I enjoy being unnerved. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but... It's just, it's just, I don't know, cathartic in a, in a way. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I would like Darkwood because it's uh, we try our best not to do any jump scares. Uh, it's, not imp- it's impossible not to do them because the game is uh, randomized in a way um, mm-hmm. uh, up to some points. And uh, there are instances where, where you can be very surprised an enemy or, or, or something like that. But we tried our best to make the game an, as unnerving as we could for atmosphere and gradual build-up instead of the jump scares that are mm, prevalent in, in the recent horror titles which mm-hmm. we don't really like so to answer your question i think it would be i would like it uh, we've seen some articles uh, there was an article on the mary sue where dark was was, was described as a game that was safe for ptsd people mm-hmm. And it did, didn't trigger there um, in any way. So, yeah, I think we'll play it. And what were some of the inspirations
1: for the scary aspects of the game from outside of your own head, from, from movies, from books, from directors that you may have tried to take something from or, or learn something from?
4: Uh, a lot. Um, mainly from movies and and other games and and books, Uh, If it goes for me, um, I tried to put as much as David Lynchian things as Mm. I could because I'm a very big fan of him and I still... I'm almost every day in the Twin Peaks Reddit after watching Uh the season three of (laughs) Twin Peaks Uh (laughs) trying to piece together something. And the the way the story is told is very uh, in the vein of Dark Souls. Uh, Mm. It's mostly told through the environment. It's not told directly. Um, You have to piece the the things together. Uh, So Dark Souls was a very big inspiration uh, in that term. Uh, Silent mm-hmm. Hill was a very big thing, I think, mu- in terms of music. Um, Arthur didn't actually play the game himself, but he loved uh, the music from it uh, because he heard it somewhere else. And it was uh, uh, for a long time. It was uh, in the inspiration folder. Uh-huh. Um, the books of uh, Dave um, Stanisław Lem. He's a Polish mm-hmm. science fiction writer. And the books of Strugatsky brothers. And
1: what was the the key to unnerving the player without jump scares for the most part? And and from that top down perspective, what little tricks did you
4: learn? What little touches could you inject into this world to scare people? I think the the sound design uh, and the music was a very very big part of making the game atmospheric, mm-hmm. um, and we put a lot of effort in that, Arthur spent countless hours doing little, very little, very subtle things that gradually made it uh, very immersive, I think, in a way that you could feel uh, the footsteps that are in the room next door. Uh, and we did a lot of work on the, 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 the uh, technical aspects of, of sound design, of, mm-hmm. or sound engineering, I don't know how that would be called, and the music, which Arthur also uh, composed. And mm-hmm. uh, These two things were, I think, most beneficial to making the game feel really, really immersive. Other than that, uh, as I've said before, um, the gradual build-up, which forced us sometimes to make the level design a bit linear, more linear than we wanted to, because we started the game as a... Uh, Uh, A very uh, randomized and procedural uh, game, more of a Mm -hmm. roguelike than uh, a a survival horror. And over time, we saw that um, to avoid the jump scares and to make the the, the atmosphere build up over time and have the effect we wanted to, uh, the level design had to be... Closed off into into separate locations sometimes, and made uh, n- well more linear than we than just just you know procedural. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lot of great use of
1: light and shadow, and sometimes you oh, you yeah. can't clearly see what's around you and and that of course could be unnerving just as it would be in real life. (laughs) The last thing I wanted to ask you was about your decision to put the game on the Pirate Bay, make it available as a a free torrent. And this is a a decision that I would imagine on one hand, it, it got you some publicity because some sites wrote about your decision to do that. But it must have been scary to give the game away for free, even though you know that Everything will be pirated inevitably if you don't do that, but still for an independent studio on your first full game to make that step had to be somewhat scary. So what was behind your decision to do that? What caused you to do it? And in retrospect, how do you think that worked
4: out? Uh, There are several reasons why we did it. My personal reason is that I wanted to do so for a very long time because I pir I, I pirated games a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. I grew up in Poland in the 90s, and there was pretty much no official distribution in that time of of video games. And if right. you wanted to play games, I, I had the uh, Amiga 1200 for a long mm-hmm. time, and if you wanted to play games, you pretty much had to go to the local pirate shop, uh, which was in my in my town. The pirate shop it was. Right across the street from the local police station. <laughs> Seriously, there was a the window, uh, and through that window you could see all the stacks of of disks and floppy disks, and there was no laws governing uh, the, the uh, these things, so it was perfectly legal. And at the time, I didn't know any better. It was just natural for me to to do so because I didn't know any other way to do to, to play games. Mm-hmm. Um, so i pirated games a lot even when i went to uh, to college i i remember uh, buying games from uh, key resellers which mm-hmm. now i hate because i know where the keys come from and uh, even on reputable sites like like ebay uh, you could buy uh, both keys and um, accounts steam accounts were. um the game is preactivated, and you can play it together and you can have the account shared with the i don't know a thousand people and mm-hmm. you know it's not very it just it's just it's just unfair to towards the yeah. developer this was how c d project Red got
1: started right before. The Witcher yeah, in Poland. Exactly. They were involved in in localizing games
4: and importing games because it was so hard to to get them legally. Exactly, and I remember very vividly uh, when I placed when I played Baldur's Gate. I think that was their first first big project in terms of localizing it to Polish, and it was just mind blowing. I could play a game in Polish language, which was very well localized, and the uh, the voice acting was very very good and um it was just uh, it, it was it was very nice having something you know you can put on the shelf and most of my friends borrowed it from me because i was the <laughs> one who bought it i got uh-huh. it for like a birthday or something like that and most of my friends bought, borrowed it from me to the point where i got it um, from someone and, the, and one of the cds was, was broken uh-huh. so i couldn't play anymore but i don't regret <laughs>
1: And you wanted people who couldn't afford your game and wouldn't be able to buy your game to be able to play it, right? And there was one particular review or or email
4: from someone
1: that helped convince you to make it available in this way?
4: Yeah. So we get why people pirated. There there are multiple multiple reasons why people would want to pirate the game. And we get why people who do not have the financial or economical means, because uh, in different countries there are different laws and different uh, pricing of games and different incomes and we as developers we just want to, people to play our game and also uh, we want to continue doing what we do in a comfortable way we don't want to you know worry about not making rents the next mm-hmm. month so if we have the ability to do so uh, in the future that's that's fine by us we don't want to you know build, build swimming pools with lasers and anything like that we just want to make video games and uh, so we get why people do pirate games for f- financial reasons and one of the reasons why we did that was the refund um, description from a person who bought Darkwood but had to refund it because he didn't want to stress out his parents when they saw the 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 bill at the end of the month it was painful to read for me (laughs) personally Um, Mm -hmm. but after we shared the the torrent uh, for with uh, on the pirate bay that person reached out to us and uh, told us that he he already has a job because that was i know a few years ago because darkwood was in early access before release uh, for around three years Mm -hmm. and He has a job now and uh, he was able to afford the game uh, eventually and uh, buy it legally.
1: That's good. Yeah, I was was curious. I mean, is there any way to tell whether this helped sales, hurt sales? Did you hear from a lot of people who torrented the game but then said, I liked
4: it, I bought it? Um, Yeah, we got a lot of mails uh, from people who were in a difficult uh, position and couldn't afford the game uh, thanking us for a decision and you know promising that in the future when they have the funds or maybe when the game is on the sale they will buy the game we also got a lot of mails from people who supported our decision and decided to buy several copies uh, for their friends or ma- or for giveaways on Reddit I think there was some, uh, some giveaways of people just randomly giving out mm-hmm. Steam keys for people and I think okay. that's If you have the the means to do so and want to share some love with the world, that's cool. Fine by me.
1: All right. Well, you can find out more about Darkwood at darkwoodgame.com. Acid Wizard is on Twitter at theacidwizard or also at acidwizardstudio.com. And I appreciate the time and, and the explanation. So
4: thank you very much, Gustav. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, Jason, we have yes. come to the end of our own odyssey. Sad. We've made it. We've talked about many games. We have many more still to discuss. And next week, I couldn't even tell you what we're going to get into next week. It could be more Mario. It could be some South Park. It could be Rise to your dawn. could be Call of Duty. Mm. Who knows? Maybe we will be more than one episode. I mean, you got to cope with this crush somehow. So we thank you all for listening. You have been listening to Achievement Oriented. We, of course, are part of the Ringer Podcast Network.
0: Yeah! Hey, ever wondered what it might be like to captain some of the greatest warships of World War II? Then you should check out World of Warships, the free-to-play historical online combat game, From Wargaming. Download World of Warships for free today at commandwarships.com to begin your naval adventure. Make sure you enter the code GAMES17 when you download to get a ton of bonus content, courtesy of achievement oriented. This podcast, that's G A M E S 1 7. That includes a free premium ship, the famous cruiser Aurora, and a pile of in game currency to jumpstart your epic World War II naval experience. Just download World of Warships today at commandwarships.com. Start playing
1: today. Video games are super fun. And, unfortunately, super expensive. You've got to pay a price for that fun. Once you bust open that plastic, you're stuck with them. No resale value. That's why Redbox lets you try out the hottest new games risk-free. Right now, you can rent The Evil Within 2, Destiny 2... NBA 2K18, co-written by Jason Concepcion, and more. Text ACHIEVEMENT to 727272 for a free one-night game rental. Redbox, the smarter way to watch and play. The offer expires December 31st, 2017. Subject to additional terms, charges apply for additional nights payment card required if you're not in text club redbox will send you an additional text with an invite to join their recurring alerts message and data rates may apply for terms visit www.redbox.com/textclub and for the privacy policy visit redbox.com/privacy